the end of Parshas Vayishlach, we have in detail the description of Esau's extended family. Most people don't really appreciate reading about Zerach and Mizo and Dishon and Dishon. And having heard about all Esau's descendants and grandchildren, so the Torah is not yet done. The Torah goes back and tells us, these are the chieftains, these are the Alufim of Esau, and goes through the whole list again. Every single one of them. I love this, I love that. I love Tishan, I love Tishan. I love Eitzer, I love Mizar. Every single one of Eitzer's descendants becomes a chief. And uh, the question we always wonder is, why were, is it so important for the Torah to go back and tell us that all Eitzel's families were chiefs? What does that add? That's the first point. And also, we're a little bit impressed. How is it that every single person in family, they're all so fast of each one is a chief? And by Yaakov's family, we don't find that. We don't find the Luf Ruben, the Luf Shimon, the Luf Yehuda. Why was it Dafka Asa's family that merited this uh, distinction? That they all became nobility, they all became important people. When either the Asa deserved that. And in fact, it's incongruous a little bit. Because if you look what the Pasuk says about Asa in the Vadya, then the Pasuk describes Asa as cotton in the Satikha Bagoyim. I made you the smallest of the nations. You're very insignificant. You have no value. You have no importance. So what? A nation of nobles, a nation where each person is an aluf, is a chief, is a leader. They're, they're the nation who consider to be extremely bozzy, to be extremely meaningless. How do we reconcile that? And as always, what's the lesson we meant to learn from it? So I want to start with a story. A story which is brought in the name in the safe of the book Dubna Magid. And that is that Dubna Magid lived at the time of the Vilnagon. The Dubna Magid even had the schus to know the Vilnagon personally. And even in his lifetime the Vilnagon was universally respected as the leader of Angidas, as the greatest of the great. The unchallenged God Ladda. And when the Dubna Magid used to go from town to town, from village to village to speak, he would often mention with admiration stories of the Vilna God. In one little shtetl, in one little town that the Dubna Magid visited, so when he spoke, as he often used to do, he spoke about the greatness of the Vilna God. And uh, the local rabbi of that shtetl was somewhat offended by the tremendous praise lavished on the Vilna God. And so he says to Dubna Magid after his drasha, he says to him, I don't, I don't understand. What's the difference between the Vilna God and myself? He's a rabbi, I'm a rabbi. He's learned the halacha, I've learned the halacha. So, okay, so, you know, he's, maybe he knows a bit more than I do, but such a big difference. In what way do you see him as being so superior? So the Dubna Magid tried to explain to him the, the amount of the God's Torah knowledge, the depth of his understanding, but this rabbi wasn't impressed. So then the Dibba Maggot says to him, you know what, I'll ask a question. Tell me, you answer the question, and afterwards I'll tell you how the Vilnagon answers the question. Okay. So the Dibba Maggot asks the following question. This is a number of times in the Mishnayas. The Mishnah gives us a number, a list of days where a mitzvah can be done. So for example, at the beginning of Masechus Megillah, when it's talking about which days the Megillah can be read, so the Mishnah says the Megillah can be read on the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th of Adar. And then that's the whole list. So the Mishnah completes saying, 
not more, not less. And other times also, when the missionaries give us a list of updates where certain mitzvahs are applicable, and it also finishes with the same terminology, Lepochus Fulo Yesa. So Dumnagi says, but if you look in Paragraph of Shabbos, it's talking about bris miller. So it says a bris can be done on the eighth day, that's a normal. Or the ninth day, if the baby was born in the twilight of Ben Hashemash, so it's not clear which day it is, so you push off the bris the following day, so it will be the ninth day. And if that happens to be Ben Hashemash, it's a very Shabbos. So we can't give a bris on Shabbos if you're not sure it's the right day, so it will be the tenth day. And if it happens to be Rosh Hashanah, it will be the eleventh day. And if it happens to be Erev Rosh Hashanah, which falls just before Shabbos, so you have to push off until after Rosh Hashanah and after Shabbos, so the bris will be on the twelfth day. Then you also have a list. A bris miller can be done on the eighth day, the ninth day, the tenth day, the eleventh day, the twelfth day. And he says, why here doesn't the Mishnah say the same thing? They box for the yes. So, this, uh, this Rav, who he asked the question to, thinks about it for a bit and launches into a very intricate pill pool to explain the differences between Megillah and Tamavantara and Brismillah and why he should say it and he shouldn't say it. And uh, Dunamagid listens and listens as he goes through the whole explanation. And when he finishes, he says to Dunamagid, that, that's my answer, what do you think of it? Dunamagid said, it's a, I like it very much. So he says, and do you think the Vilna Gaon would have answered differently? So the Dunamagid said, yes, I do. So the answer says, and do you think? His answer was better than mine? Absolutely. Okay, what would the, what would the Vilna Gaon have answered? So the Vilna tells him the Vilna Gaon would have answered that the mission in Shabbos does say Lebanon just like all the others. And the point of the story that Lebanon was trying to bring out, and that is, it might be a person also has a certain title, and it doesn't necessarily qualify them to be an equal to a person who is much greater. And in fact, it's a lack of appreciation of greatness which makes the person think that he's an equal. And that's the first point. What makes the person feel that someone else is equal to them? That, you know, is in the story we just mentioned. So, there could be one of two possibilities. Either a person doesn't appreciate the, the depth of the topic, the greatness of the person involved, and from a point of ignorance. So, they think everybody's the same. They don't realize how much more there is to the topic. For example, one of the people here in the shul told me that he is walking with his son home from the Chumash party. You know, when the kids turn four and they start learning Chumash, so they make a party in the Cheder, and each kid gets his own Chumash. So he's walking his kid home from the, the ceremony, and this kid tells him, I'm just like the Rebbe. Well, he learns Chumash, I learn Chumash. And we understand from a child's perspective, so there's no difference. You see yourself as someone who can learn Chumash, you can learn Chumash. Understanding in the Chumash, knowledge of Chumash, the amount of time a person's put into learning. So a person who doesn't understand these things doesn't see the difference. I think it's all the same. Somebody who doesn't understand the depth of Torah. So they think, that what's the difference? We're all the same. We, we, we don't, they don't appreciate what true depth really means. That's the one reason why a person would consider themselves to be on the same standard as someone else. And indeed, in that, in that sense, so the more a person appreciates the topic themselves, the more they can recognize somebody who's a true expert of the topic.
You know, that's a famous story that the Yishalmi tells us about Salim, the son of Rabbi Yavau. It says that when he was a, a young child, Rabbi Yavau decided he wants his son to be a Talmud Chacham, and he hired private teachers for him to learn with him Yom and Vadaila. It seems like he never left his house for 25 years. In 25 years he sat and he learned, and in the end he knew a tremendous amount. And after 25 years he had his first man as money. He leaves the house, he goes for a walk outside. He wasn't used to the heat. Outside he gets very thirsty. So he goes to a stall where they're selling drinks. And he asks for a cup of water. So the vendor tells him, a cup of water that's going to cost you a coin. He said, I don't have any money on me, but you should know. Maybe someone who sat and learned for so many years, maybe you just give me a free cup of water. The man said, listen, this is business. You want a cup of water, you pay a coin. So Salim is very shocked, hurt by the incident. He comes home and he tells his father that, you know, what did I gain from 25 years of learning? Even after that, no one's even prepared to give me a cup of water. So Riyavo wants to teach him a lesson. So he, the next day he says, listen, you know what, you learned 25 years, you don't feel that was what was going to give you, so to speak, your, your performance. I'll tell you what, I have a diamond, I'm going to business. Go sell the diamond, make money, and set yourself up in business. So he said, where shall I sell the diamonds? He said, well, first go to the, no, the shuk, the marketplace, and offer them the diamond and see how much they offer you. And after that, go to... The, the diamond row, where the diamond workers work, and see how much they offer you. Okay, so next day he takes the diamond, he goes to the first fruit store in the market, and he says to them, um, how much would you give me for this diamond? So he looks at it, it's very pretty. So, five, five, five dinner, five coins. Goes to the next guy, the guy is selling fish, looks at it, oh, it's I'll give you seven. The next guy, he looks at it also, he says, you know what, I think it'll probably make my wife happy, I'll give you ten. Okay. So then he listens to his father's advice. He says, I want to just find out a bit more before I sell to anybody. And he goes to the jeweler's row. He goes to the first jeweler. The jeweler takes out his loop. He measures it. He looks at it carefully. He says, wow, a diamond like this, 20,000. And he says, next jeweler, the next jeweler looks at it, weighs it, measures it. So you know what? There's something unique about this diamond. I'll offer you 25,000. And eventually, Sadek sells the diamond for 30,000 dinner. And he comes back to his father with all the money, and he says, "Yeah, this is the, this is the I sold the diamond. I gave it to the expert who, who sold, who was willing to pay thirty thousand dinars for it." Right? So he said, "I have one question for you." He said, "Why do you send me to those fools in the marketplace? I have no idea what a diamond is. Well, I should waste my time with people offering me five dinars for a diamond which is worth thirty thousand." So his father says to him, "You answered your own question." You understand yourself, a person in the marketplace who's really selling fish doesn't appreciate the value of a diamond. So for him, this is a pretty start. So he'll give a little bit for it. It needs the expert who appreciates diamonds to see what it's really worth. And he says the same thing. You want to value the Torah you've learned by the fool in the market who's selling drinks. He has no idea what Torah is really worth. If you want someone to appreciate Torah, you have to go to people who can, who are the experts, the connoisseurs, so to speak, who know Torah in order to appreciate Torah. Otherwise, people who don't understand, don't appreciate the difference. That's this is the first point. The first is that, and that is that the greater a person is in Torah, so the more they can appreciate Torah greatness. 
for a person who the whole field is unknown to them, so it doesn't make any difference. They aren't aware of what, how much is involved in the topic, how deep the topic is, how much effort and hard work it takes to become great. And therefore, for them, no, they don't have, the, so to speak, the scales to value, evaluate or to appreciate what greatness really means. And I heard a story once from Makarov, uh, who was on a train, and an older irreligious person sits down opposite him. To make a conversation, this person asks him, what do you do? So he said, I teach Torah. Okay, what do you do? He said, I'm a professor of astronomy. Right? So this, this professor wanted to contain the conversation. He said, you know, I don't really understand how you can spend the whole night, day teaching Torah. I once heard that uh, the principle that don't do unto others what they, you wouldn't want them to do to you, and that encompasses the whole Torah. So what more is there to teach? So this Makarov turns to him and he said, I had the same question about you. You can't understand what there is to be a professor of astronomy about. You can just say twinkle, twinkle, little star, and that's everything, isn't it? And uh, that point was, if you don't understand the topic, you don't understand what's involved. And of course, a person can't judge greatness when they don't understand what greatness really means. So that's the one option of explaining, explaining uh, why people don't always value and appreciate godless. They don't have the, they don't have the, they don't have the scales to measure it. But there's another reason also, and that is sometimes the person doesn't appreciate greatness because there isn't any. And therefore, a person sees somebody who doesn't really have anything admirable about them, who doesn't really have any amazing features. So, of course, what's amazing about such a person? One doesn't see anything which is exceptional, one doesn't see anything unique. And then there's nothing to look up to. That's, as far as I understand, what the Torah is teaching us by Esau. By Esau, so in his whole family, they all became chiefs. They all are looking. In Yaakov's family, no one's a chief. Why? Because Yaakov's family all lived in the shadow of Yaakov Avinu. And everybody appreciated the greatness of Yaakov. So in, when Yaakov's around, someone's going to think of themselves as important, as having distinction, as a joke. Where everyone realized we're nothing, we're insignificant compared to the real greatness that Yaakov Avinu possesses. Whereas in Esau's family, where the head of the clan was Esau, like the Navi says about him, a completely unimpressive, a completely uh, worthless person. And if that's the case, so then what's it to look up to exactly? The fact that he's drunk and gotten drunk more times than me, the fact that he's stuffed himself and, and, and tried food more often than me, what exactly was there impressive about Esau? Nothing. So that's the case. He should be a leader, also be a leader. And so every single descent of Esau considers himself an aluf. Where I'm considering myself the leader because I don't see any fantastic quality about the leader which I don't have. And so I'll be a leader too. And that's what the Torah is trying to emphasize. That it was Dafka because of Esau's insignificance that every one of his descendants felt themselves a leader. Whereas by Yaakov's family, when there's a concept of two, true greatness, so then, no one else considers himself a contestant. Everybody realizes that uh, Yaakov is the, is, is the one who's going to lead us. He's so much ahead of us. And because of that, we're willing to accept. And that's the point I wanted to talk about. That's the Yisraelim Chinuch. And that is, in a system when there's no real greatness, so there's no reason to obey the leader. And in fact, how does leadership work in such a society, in the world of Aesop? So either it's a question of force, whoever's the strongest can dominate everybody else. 
not by virtue of merit, but just by virtue of strength. Or alternatively, and maybe for the non-Jewish world, this was actually a step up. And that is a democracy, which means everybody is equal. Everybody can be a, con- con- be a no, candidate to, for power. Everyone can choose who they think is worthwhile. So then everyone's equal. Everyone's equally worthy of being a leader. Everyone can choose. Everyone has equal votes. And really the, the base of that system is no one's really worthy. If there was one candidate who was so much better and so much more appropriate than everybody else, so then of course, why shouldn't he automatically be the leader? But in a, in a situation where no one really deserves it, no one's actually better than anybody else, so then we have to find some other way of determining leadership which is non-violent, and that's why democracy was born. And uh, I always say that we see that even in a democratic society, not everything is run by democracy. The, the population doesn't choose who's going to be the general of the army or who's going to be the head of the, the, the uh, med- uh, education department, the, the top doctor, the surgeon general, whatever it is. It's understood there are certain uh, roles which need professionalism, which need experience, which need, and then it's a, a based on a system of merit. Who's the best person? Uh, and most people don't qualify, and most people aren't even qualified to decide. They don't know the topic, they don't understand what the requirements for the job are, and therefore to let the general population decide who they want to be, let's say, the chief of staff of the army, or the head of the, all the medical decisions in the country, is negligent. They're going to choose, they don't have the, criteria, the experience or knowledge to know what criteria to choose based on. So why is the leader any different? Why is the head of state not a job which needs experience, professionalism, a certain uh, degree of skill, but the skills of leadership no one has. And if that's the case, it's just a question of who's the most popular and who can get the most people to vote for them without it really being in the question based on merit. Whereas real leadership, so there's, there's no, nothing to contest. If everybody agrees that someone is much greater than anyone else, and everybody is willing to accept them and realizes and appreciates their godless, so then of course, why would, they, why would we need to decide? It's clear that that person is, is, is going to lead us. He knows so much more. He's so much greater. And the second point of that is nothing's going to change in four or five years' time. A person who really is greater, a person who really is a leader, so then he's going to maintain his position in the future too. You know, I was once giving a Kira session and I was asked this question. How do, how do you vote in the God Ladakh? How do you choose your leaders? Is it a democracy? I said, no, it's not a democracy. So then how do you make... How do you, why, why is it a system which you can decide who the God is going to be? So I said, just like the principle of democracy is that it's meant to be let the best man win. So I said, and that's also let the best man win, but he won uncontested. Because no one's going to stand against someone they know is greater than that. If you'd say there would be such a thing as an uh, election for the God Ladar, so anybody would stand against Rukhain Kanievsky, it would be ridiculous. That we understand he's greater and there's nothing to compete with. And that's the essence. Yaakov's family, they all appreciate Yaakov, and no one's going to be in a loof. No one's going to consider themselves important when Yaakov's there to lead them. Esau's family, they see Esau as being insignificant. There's nothing great about him. There's no reason why we should look at him as a leader. What does he have that we don't? And because of that, each person thinks, I'm as good a candidate as Esau. I can be a leader too. So why is this like a Because this is a major, major part of the chinuch we have to give our children. Number one, the, the idea of appreciating what greatness really means. Appreciating what greatness really means because that gives a person the sense of respect for someone who's greater than him. 
But there's a second point also, and that is having the ability to understand greatness. Because like we said, for the person who doesn't know the difference, he doesn't understand what greatness is, so he doesn't appreciate what it means to be great. How do we show that? How do we see the difference between a system where people don't appreciate greatness and we say it's their fault, that they don't have the tools to weigh it up, to a system where there is no greatness, and therefore there isn't really anything to appreciate. And the answer is very simple. The answer is, how do people who are closer to the leader think about it? In a system where it's a question of the person is really great, so then the closer the people are to the leader, the more they'll appreciate him. In other words, for the Cheder kid to respect Rukhaim Kanievsky, it doesn't really know what it means. For somebody who's very great in Torah. For the Shiva Bacha, who knows a bit more what it means to learn, who's tried to learn a Sugi himself, so his appreciation grows up. For the Talmud Chacham, who's learned some of Rav Chaim Sfarim, who's spoken to him in learning, and is amazed by his grasp of every part of Torah, his admiration is even more. For the Gadolim and the Poiskim and the Rashi Yeshivas, who are on their level, can still appreciate the, how much greater the God Ladar is, so then, for them, they'll appreciate it even more. And that's a system which shows, which is based on real Godless. Uh, that is, the closer the person is to the Godless, the more they appreciate the Godless. And the same thing in other areas also. The closer the person is to appreciate someone's level of Tzitzkos, Yerushimayim, Shemir Sahalacha, so the, the more great they are, the more they can appreciate greatness. And therefore, a system where, at the, uh, on the, so to speak, in the hierarchy, the people higher up appreciate the leader more than the people that are down means that there's something really real there to appreciate and if a person doesn't appreciate it it's because he's too far away from understanding what it means to, to give it the due respect whereas in a system when there's no real guidance so the closer a person is to the top the less he thinks of the leader because he says I see him exactly the same as me I don't see him anywhere better than me and in a system where if everyone's competing all candidates are competing among themselves. Each one looks down at the other option. Each one considers the other one to be uh, worse than them. Then that shows there's nothing really there to be impressed by. There's no real leadership. So what's the chinuch? Number one. The first chinuch is to, to talk about the greatness of G'day. To share stories of the gods, to show we're impressed by them because we should be hopefully a step ahead of our children, of our children. And if they look after us with some, something, if we are a step ahead of them, and we show them there's something we look up to, so then it makes a hierarchy, it makes a system which shows what this is. Whereas if we're going to take an attitude of feeling that there's nothing to be impressed by, and we don't ever talk about our, you know, our respect or our, our recognition of how great they are, so then we're creating a dynamic where people think there isn't anything great, and we're not going to benefit from what it means to have a connection to uh, a leader who's really great. What's more important is that naturally people don't necessarily have this appreciation of Godless. Without being trained to understand how, what greatness means, so everybody thinks of himself as the best and it creates a certain lack of respect for Godless. First thing is, why do they know more than me? It makes for an ace of approach. Each person thinks, you know, I know, I can decide. And it cries across the board. In the yeshiva, a person thinks, well, the yeshiva can explain the sugi better, I, I can explain it myself. I don't have to ask him his opinion. When it comes to psak, I should ask a rov, or I can pass it for myself. It comes from a certain attitude of not appreciating what Godless really means. 
And that comes from a lack of chinuch, or regardless reading it. Because once a person appreciates how much greater, so to speak, someone else is, so then they understand on their own that the people who know better than me, the people who are more experienced than me, and the people that I should be asking their advice. And rather than having the, the so to speak, feeling of confidence that now I know just as well as everybody else, and uh, I don't need to ask advice, I don't need to get a second opinion, that comes from a lack of appreciation of Godless. That's the that's the that's the goal. The way to Mechanech, three things. Number one, like I said, is the fact that the father or the Mechanech, he himself ex- expresses the idea of I, I can look after people who are greater than me. Not just to tell the child that you should know that other people are greater than you, which should be in practice. The person. The father should himself talk about the greatness of the Rabbanim, of the Gedalim, of whoever it's going to be, the Manhigi Adar, and why we have to ask their advice, and why they know more than us, and how much more time and effort they put into learning, and how much more didactic they are in keeping the Halacha. And the more that a person sees, a child sees, respect for a level higher, so that in marriage that inculcates that feeling that there's levels of greatness. The more that the parents listens to Da'as Torah, asks advice, is makabal the direction of G'dayim. So that's the best chinuch that the child's going to do the same. That they'll appreciate that there's godless and I have, to, I have to look up to that. The second point, and that is, when a person, when a person comes to an appreciation of Torah, and then they see that they will that you know as I understood a certain way, but there's more depth that I didn't think about, and there are more points to the question which I didn't even realize, and there's more subtleties to what's been learned that I never knew, and then suddenly I get to appreciate how deep Rashi was, and suddenly I get to appreciate how much Rabbi Vega understood, or any other Mafarish, any other God, because of course on the surface level it looks all very easy, so like the little kid we said before, he can achomish, I can achomish, but we start to learn and understand a bit better and then see that there's actually so many more levels that he can and I can't and that's when I get to this realization and I get to this appreciation that not everybody is the same the different levels and the different levels of greatness too and that's the second point not just when one talks about Gedalim or talks about how one feels towards them but when one learns so yes we want to make our children feel confident and feel good you understood you know well but at the same time, sometimes room to throw in a question. What about this point? Do you think about that? And show them that the levels beyond what they thought about, the levels which are above them, what they understood, because then, then there's a certain appreciation of understanding. Ah, so now we understand a little bit of what Raja was thinking about. Now we understand a little bit of the question which was bothering the Malbim, whatever the point is going to be. And again, it's that training for understanding that there's different levels. And the importance of that, because then it creates a system of Yaakov. It creates a system where we can look up to the leader rather than ever feeling that they're an equal and they should really be the leaders themselves. Let's finish with the last point, a time of Eliyahu. The Gemara tells us the story of Eliyahu Novi was once traveling in the company of Rabbi Sheba Nevi and they came to a city and a city where people were, were not good people. Eliyahu left, he gave a and they should all become leaders. And then they came to a second city of people who were good people, kind people, helpful people. And Eliyahu Davin, they should have one leader. 
And Rabbi Shabbat Nevi calls, calls him out of it and says, what's the difference? The city of wrongdoers, you ask them, you damn all be leaders, and the city of Tadikim is only one leader, and the Leo tells him that's exactly the point. A city where everybody's a leader is a city where it's completely non-functional. No one's prepared to listen to someone else's opinion. Everyone thinks I should really be the one in charge, and therefore everybody looks down on everybody else as potentially usurping what they think is rightly theirs. It'll be a city consumed by Machlaikas. It'll be a city which won't be able to progress in any way. Whereas a city with one leader means everybody respects the leader is greater. And then there's no struggle for control. And there's no fights about who makes decisions because it's understood. There's somebody greater. He has to be the one to decide. And then it's a city which can be guided together to work towards a, some greater purpose. And it's the same thing over here. A society of Esau is a society where everybody thinks, I'm going to be the one to lead. Everybody's in Naluf. And that means it's a non-functional society. Because nobody willingly accepts anyone else's opinion. Everybody always thinks the other one's wrong. Whereas the society of Yaakov, which is a society where everyone looks up to the person who really is greater, the person who really is a leader, and everyone follows that leader, then a society which can be, const- can be directed and built to, towards the ideal of what a wanted society to be.